Good morning, everybody. Today we're learning Daf Samach Vav in Maseches Yivamos, and we're starting with the new parak Almana Lekohen Gadol. Garana wants us here. He wants us to wish a special hello to our friends in Dublin and in Barcelona. Hi, guys. Uh, we're not going to be here. But Andrew's not here. Barry's not going to be. So we're not going to be here until next week, Wednesday. Okay. So Dublin and Barcelona, especially, and Bnei Brak. Hang in there. That's what's showing up on our SoundCloud uh, notifications. Okay. Says the Mishnah. Now, these are f- phrases that are familiar to you. As you know, this is an Isserlav, right? It's, it's uh, illegit- illegitimate Usser marriages, but the Kiddushan is Chal, as we've said. It's an Isserlav, which means it's not an Isserkarts, which means that even though a Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, nor is a Kohen Gadol allowed to marry a widow, they did it anyway. Okay, so, so far as we've discussed many aspects of this, this mission is taking us in a totally different direction. We're going to use our knowledge that we've already amassed, and we're going to apply it to a detail in the marriage con- contract itself. So that requires a little bit of background. The marriage contract is, aside from all the romance that Barry wants to talk about, also a financial contract in a sense, okay? As we already know, soon we'll be learning there's something called a ksuba, right? The ksuba is what the man has to pay or what the woman re- receives upon the dissolution of marriage, either by the death or a divorce with the husband. Now, that ksuba is only part of the equation. There is something called nichsei Melug and something called Nixait Son Barzel. And there is no way to describe, the, to, to go through this Mishnah without understanding what those two things are. So let's describe it as follows. So, you know, I went through a lot of my life thinking that Nixay Melug and Nixay Son Barzel are two different types of, uh, of things, like Metaltalin versus Karka. You know, that you could see, physically see a difference between what's Nixay Melug and Nixay Son Barzel by looking at it. You know, if you play Settlers of Catan or something like that, like Tzon Barzel would be sheep and ore and Malug would be breaking, doesn't matter. It's a totally different thing. Nechse Malug and Nechse Tzon Barzel is not referring to anything inherent, so to speak, that you could see physically in the object, but rather, what is the nature of the financial arrangement with regards to the, vis-a-vis the husband and wife, with regards to her possessions? When entering a marriage, a woman has possessions of her own. What um, obligation does the husband have so they make a contract, essentially, an agreement ahead of time, right, and as the marriage is about to take place, and the agreement is as follows. The Nixet Son Barzel, we're going to use, now this is going to sound very, very not progressive, but this is the case of our Mishnah, so we have to use it. We're going to use the case of slaves. Slaves, right, the Evan Kanani is considered... Uh, for purposes of our discussion, property. Okay, there's no no way around it. I think that was um, where was that worded in the in the Constitution or in one of the statements? The unique form of property, you know, back in the day, before the Thirteenth Amendment, Baruch Hashem. So this was not just true of America. This is true of the entire world had this concept of slavery, and of course, it appears in the Torah. So slavery is a form of a of a Kenyan. It's a, it was considered property. Okay. So without getting into to that discussion, 
the reason why we're using slaves is we're going to need to know, can the slaves eat truma? Can the slaves eat truma? So typically, you should know, if a person, if a master, we'll call it, can eat truma, their slaves can eat truma. It goes based on the master, right? Everyone's part of the household, and they can eat truma. So therefore, if it's a Kohanite household, right, the person's a Kohen, the slaves are going to, be, going to be able to eat truma. Very good. Okay, now, means the following. Let's say the nechassim in question, uh, the property in question is the slaves. So, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's not inherent in the slaves whether it's on barzel or, or malug. That is the agreement. The agreement is uh, going to determine whether a slave is considered tzon barzel malug. Now we're going to discuss what the difference is. Tzon barzel means, barzel means iron, which means... I have evaluated, let's say the woman has 10 slaves. She evaluated five of them at $1,000 a piece. And so she says, I'm giving you $5,000 worth of slaves as nichse son barzel, and I'm giving you the other five slaves as nichse malug. The nichse son barzel is, are worth $5,000, and therefore the husband has to give her back $5,000 at the dissolution of marriage. It's called barzel because it's a fixed Value. That's all it means. The reason it's, uh, it's sometimes referred to as tzon barzel is because that would be the most typical scenario in those days where you got back exactly what you gave. A shepherd would get, um, a person would give his sheep to a shepherd, say, give them back to me in the condition that I gave them to you. That's almost like a, right, a cultural thing. But the, the barzel is the point. That's a fixed value that you return. And that's predetermined. In other words, the husband and wife make that in the contract. I'm going to get back $5,000. What's nixay malug? Nixay malug is, you get to use these slaves, and I'm giving them to you. And and when they and and then when the marriage is dissolved, I get them back, regardless of whether they appreciated or depreciated. So let's say she had right ten thousand dollars worth of slaves, ten slaves a thousand dollars each. She gave half of them as nixay malug and half as nixay tzon barzel, which she can do. That's in the contract. The nixay malug are going to fluctuate because they, they could have had kids. Some of them could have died. They could have gotten skinnier or they could have bulked up and gotten more muscular. Whatever happened to those five slaves, that's how she gets them back. She gets those five slaves and their families, whatever is left of them or whatever has grown from them, she gets them back. The Nixay Barzel, the Nixay Tzon Barzel, she gets back $5,000. Not necessarily the slaves, but $5,000, a fixed amount. Now, Garano, so I'll ask you this. If I give you money, and I say, I'm giving you this money for a year. I'm giving you $100, okay? If you, at the end of the year, if I say, okay, give me back $100, there's two scenarios. One scenario is, I say, give me back $100, that'll be Tzon Barzo. The other scenario is, I say, okay, give me back whatever that $100 did in the market, or whatever, which... Which one do you think is an indication that the money belonged to me the entire year that you had it? So the answer is, if all I'm asking you is for the $100 back, this is, this is a little bit counterintuitive in a way, so pay close attention. If all I'm asking you is the value back, exactly what I gave you, that means that whatever you had, really, that money, if you were investing it it was almost like seed money for you. That money was yours, right? Because I'm not asking, but uh, here's the contrast. If I say, 
you take, here's a hundred dollars and then you invest it and you turn it into a thousand dollars. And then I say, okay, well now give me the thousand dollars. That means that you are the custodian of my money. That was always my money, right? After all, you only owe me a hundred dollars, but no, it was my money. And therefore, whatever you did with it, whatever happened to it, or if you put it in the market and you lost it and you don't have to return it to me, you don't have, you don't have any achrayas, we'll call it, right? Then that means that it was really my money for you to manage. You were the custodian of my money. That's the nichse malug. Therefore, the nichse malug really uh, belongs to the wife, right? Even while they're married, those nichse malug are, are essentially on loan, so to speak. The husband uses them. That's the word malug means like <coughs> feathers of a bird. That you're plucking the feathers, but the golden goose belongs to the wife, right? So this is where it gets detailed. The wife technically is, if you were going to break it down, she's the owner of the nechse malug, even though the husband is like the custodian and current custodian of the nechse malug. As opposed to nechse tzon barzel, she, all she's saying is that she's getting back the value. But throughout the entire time of the marriage, really that belongs to the husband. Why am I going through all of this? Because you can't get through the first line of the Mishnah without understanding that the avadim, that are brought in as Nixit Tzon Barzel. So you're going to have a case, uh, and there's one other detail that has to be mentioned. And this is the detail, the only one that we've already learned, which is that if, when a woman, uh, let's say she's a Bas coin, marries a, and she's a Grusha, and she marries a coin, when she marries him, right, and it is an illicit marriage, because it's a Grusha la coin, she becomes a Chalala, and she can no longer eat Shruma. That's a problem, okay? He does not. Uh, I don't know if we touched on that. He could continue to eat truma. So here we go. She comes into this non-sanctioned marriage and becomes a halala and half her slaves are nixay malug and half her slaves have been contractually indicated to be nixay tzon barzel. Those slaves which are nixay tzon barzel, they get to eat truma because they actually belong to the husband now and the husband can eat truma. Whereas those slaves that are nixe malug are technically still the possession of the wife. And even though they're involved in this illicit marriage and technically their master, so to speak, is the husband, because they are technically ownership of the wife and she is a halala, they cannot eat truma. So you have 10 slaves under the same roof. Five of them can eat truma because they technically belong to the husband. Five of them cannot because they technically belong to the wife who is a halala. Now that, my friends is a mouthful of an introduction. And we will, without further ado, read this in the Mishnah, because you'll see, you cannot read the first words without ex- explaining that, as follows. Once you understand that, the rest flows like water, Barry. The cases we've talked about, illicit marriages, between, let's say, a Bas Kohen and a Kohen, okay. And here it is. She has 10 slaves, let's say. She's bringing half of them are going to be considered malug. And again, contractually, they've agreed. Half of them will be tzon barzel. The avde malug lo yechle bitruma. As we've discussed, right? The slaves that were considered nixe malug belong to her. And therefore, they cannot eat truma because she's a halala. And she can't eat truma. And they go based on what she can and cannot eat. However, the avde tzon barzel yochelu. Those slaves which are considered tzon barzel, they're considered the husband's property, and he can still eat truma, and therefore they, in turn, can eat truma as well. Now, says the Mishnah, and now the Mishnah is going to explain 
other implications of the Avde Malug, right? And and how and how it's illustrative of the fact that they belong to the wife. So in Mesu, Mesu La, Vim Hosir, Hosir La. So that's it. Let's say five of them were designated to be Avde Malug. That means if if the family dynamics change, right? Who knows how long they're married? They're married forty years. So the, the original five slaves could have all died, but now all their families could be there. Or maybe there's one left, or maybe they bulked up or got skinnier. Whatever happens, it, she, uh, that fluctuation in value of this group of five slaves, that all goes back to her. Because it's really always her money, so to speak. Her property. Now it is true that throughout that entire time, it was really not her responsibility to feed them, but rather the husband's responsibility Still, right? So that's an irony, right? In other words, they're eating it at his table, so to speak, right? They're eating at the husband's table. And so you'd say, well, it should only matter, and the Gemara will discuss this, it should only matter whose table they're eating at, whether they're eating truma or not. After all, they're technically his kinyan in a way as well. Well, the Gemara will address that. But the point is, because of the fact that they're technically below property of the wife, we will see three explanations for why the Rabbanan made this uh, Gezerah, but because they technically own to the wife, the mission is teaching us a Chiddush that they cannot eat Truma. Okay? We will understand soon enough uh, clearer why that is. Right? But that is a, that's really the biggest Chiddush of the Mishnah. The biggest Chiddush is that they belong to this new master, there's a, and there's a marriage, and because the marriage is illicit, they can't eat Truma. If they, so long as they nixamalug. And, and the flip side is if they next to Barzal, they can. The Gemara is going to have to sort this out for us. But be that as it may, now we're at least understanding what the halacha is. What about the Tzon Barzal? So we already know what would Tzon Barzal do. They eat whatever the uh, husband eats. Let's see. What does it mean? It means that, that he incurs whatever appreciation or depreciation. So it would be the following thing. He just has to give her back $5,000, right? So let's say he got these five slaves, they're worth $5,000, and they, all of a sudden they, um, right, these five slaves formed an NBA team and they won the championship and now they're worth billions of dollars, right? Um, so they, so that is, uh, that is a, uh, something that he's going to benefit from. He only has to give her back $5,000, right? Because um, there's five, there's five players on an NBA team. That's why I used that, that, uh, I would have said a baseball team for his, however many are in baseball. Eleven, okay. He absorbs, or he can absorb uh, the depreciation, but he will benefit from the appreciation. He only has to give her five thousand again, and that's an indication they really that they belong to him, right? And since he is fully responsible for their value, that's what chayav b'achoriusan means. He's responsible for their value to return it no matter what. And therefore they're considered his property and therefore they can eat truma. This might be the least PC Mishnah we've ever read. Now, the Mishnah now continues. What would happen if the, this is all in the case of an illicit marriage? What if the marriage was proper? Regular case. She's married to a coin. What's the Chiddush here going to be? The Chiddush here is going to be that everybody can eat truma. If the, if the marriage is sanctioned, so that's an ironic thing. 
because Abbas Yisrael never ate truma, right? The, the Abbas Kohen always ate truma. Now she's a halala, and for the first time she can't eat truma, and that reflects on her nechsei melug avadim. Here, the Bas Yisrael never ate truma, and she's bringing in nechsei melug and nechsei tzon barzel, and yet, because the marriage is sanctioned, for some reason, which we'll see soon enough, all of those slaves can eat truma just like their Kohen master as follows. Bas Yisrael is married to a Kohen, v'chnisa avadim, ben avdim melug, ben avdei tzon barzel, irrespective of what kind of avadim they are, harei elu yochlu betruma, they can eat truma with impunity, and that is the din. Uvas kohen shenisus leisrael. What if you flip it and you say the bas kohen is marrying Israel? Vichnisa lo avadim. And in that case, ben avdei melug ben avdei tzon barzel harei elu lo yochlu betruma. So we see simply that in the case of a regular bas kohen to Israel, a mismatch, or bas Israel to a kohen, another shidduch mismatch, it's all going according to the husband. Because it's all going to depend. If the husband's a coin, all the slaves can eat truma, even if they were originally the property of the Bas Yisrael wife. If the husband is Yisrael, all the slaves cannot eat truma, even if they had heretofore been eating truma their whole lives as slaves of the Kala, who is a Bas Kohen. Once she marries Yisrael, they can no longer eat truma because they're considered property of the Yisrael husband, regardless of whether they were brought in as Nechsei Melog or Nechsei Tzon Barzel. So now we have to ask ourselves the obvious question. Why, in a case of an illicit marriage, where she becomes a Halala, do we split the difference between Nechsei Melog and Nechsei Tzon Barzel? And in every other case, we say, in a normal sanctioned marriage, that it goes based on the, the Baal, right? So let's see. Says the Gemara. That's the outlier Chiddush cases we've said, right? Um, we're gonna, why are we saying that the Avde Malug, right, that really belonged to the wife in the case of the illicit, right, let's say Almanal Kohen Gadol, why do they, we say in that case that they can't eat Truma even though she married a Kohen? Am I? Why? Let them be considered like the Kenyan of the Baal. Because after all, and this has to be explained, and this is a lot of Lambdas, obviously, already, but the Lambdas can be deepened here, which is to say, Nobody's arguing that the Baal has no Kinyanim on the Avdei Malug, right? On Nixay Malug, Nixay Tzon Barzal, they're both form of a Kinyan. It's just that one Kinyan, as we described, is more typical where we say halachically, technically, it belongs to the husband. And the other one, maybe it technically, if you were, you know, gun to your head, so to speak, it would belong to the, it's the property of the wife. But the, hus- but the husband was made a Kinyan on both. Of some sort, right? Let's not get involved in Kenyan Peiros versus Kenyan Aguf. We'll have time for that as we go through Shas. But there is certainly a form of Kenyan. And what the Gemara is asking now is that I would have thought that any form of Kenyan on these Avadim would have entitled them to eat whatever the Baal eats. As follows, says the Gemara. Right? He made a Kenyan. Detanya, the Brisa says, Where do we learn that a coin who marries a woman, let's say she marries an Israelite, right? And is coin to her avadim shiochle betruma. How do we know that they eat truma? Shnemar bechorin kiknen nefesh kinyan kaspa hu yochal bo. Doesn't get more befeirish than that, right? In sefer vayikra, right? That a coin, right? Right. So we're trying to say that when a coin has a kinyan on, I think the people in Dublin, Ireland, are going to say Gerardo sounds sleepy today. When they, when the kinyan. When the coin makes a Kenyan on any of it, 
be that it's on barzo, like you're saying, or, right, or malug, they should be able to eat. That's a beferish pasuk in the Torah. It's okay. And so then the Gemara asks, By the way, <laughs> this Kenyan idea goes so far as to say that a woman that has her own slaves, forget married, a single girl. And not only that, there are scenarios, Rashi explains what the scenario is, but just trust me, where even a slave can own a slave. Okay? Now that's pretty progressive. <laughs> Or maybe it's less progressive. I can't tell. But the point is that even a slave can own a slave. And, and everybody can eat truma. Which is even if he has a Kenyan and that Kenyan has a Kenyan just by virtue of the fact that he has right ownership of this as property, that means that even Kenyan Kenyano can eat truma. So anybody in this Right, tree of Kenya of, of acquisitions can eat truma. So what are we talking about? That the nichse malug, right? Certainly the isha is the Kenyan of the of the of the baal, uh, isha nicknase, as we will see in Masechus Kiddushin. So certainly the 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 isha is the, is the is considered a Kenyan of the baal, and so and certainly so therefore it shouldn't even matter whether the slaves are the Kenyan of the Baal or the Kenyan of the woman. The woman is the Kenyan of the Baal and therefore the slaves at the very least, even the Nechseh Malug are the Kenyan of the woman who is the Kenyan of the Baal and everybody should be eating Truma. What is going on here, Barry? Why are the Nechseh Malug not eating Truma? So we have uh, a couple of answers here. Number one. First answer we're going to say, we're going we're gonna to explain why the Nechseh uh, Malug of the woman cannot eat Truma as follows. The first thing is that's the first answer. The first answer is that there is a, an idea, a concept, okay, a general rule, which is that anyone who eats truma himself can only entitle the other one to eat truma. That's a fascinating idea, which is to say, really we have two competing things. We have a gen- two general rules that are in conflict. One general rule is that if you have... If you made a Kenyan, then what, well, it's not really competing in a sense. If you made, if, if some, if, if an Evid is a Kenyan of somebody who could eat, so then the, um, the Evid himself can eat the Truma. But that's only if the master can eat the Truma. So this is what the Gemara is trying to say. There are cases, for example, right, where you have a Kohen, let's say, right, who typically could eat Truma, but for whatever reason he currently cannot eat Truma. So if he can't eat truma, his property, his slaves cannot eat truma either. Okay. So that's what that means. So what is, how does that apply to us? Well, those slaves that are the property of the wife cannot eat truma by virtue of the fact that she herself is a halala and cannot eat truma. But we're going to poke holes at this, uh, at this basic initial distinction as follows. says You know, there are cases uh, where a Kohen uh, can be an RL, uh, right? The Kohen never had a bris milah, or the Kohen became Tameh, right? Classic everyday case, potentially. Kohen becomes Tameh, so he temporarily cannot eat Truma. So would you say that he has to make an announcement in the mess hall, as it were, and tell all his slaves that until he dunks in the mikvah and, and becomes tahar, they're also not allowed to eat truma in order to fulfill this idea of kola ochal machil? Certainly not. The, that, so we see already there's precedence 
That's not really true. That kol ha'ochel ma'achil, v'kol eina ochel eina ma'achil, there, is, there are scenarios where a Kohen technically usually is truma, but now he cannot because he's Tame or he's an RL, and his slaves sure can eat truma. So we see limitations to this concept of the slaves can only eat what the masters eat. So why wouldn't this be another uh, right limitation? Where the woman is a halal, she can't eat, but the slaves, after all, by virtue of being her Kenyan and she's the Kenyan of the Baal, and by virtue of being in a Kohanite home where everyone's eating truma, maybe that should be another example of where even though she can't eat truma, they can. So the Gemara says that's those two cases are different because she'll never be able to eat truma again. She's a halala for good, whereas an RL can get a brismila or a tamay kohen can uh, purify himself, and therefore that's only temporary. And that's why there's two right two types of eno ochel as follows. Says the Gemara, hasam pumayikayivlu. Yeah. In those cases of the oral of the, of the, and the tame, it's only because of their mouths, so to speak. It's only because of their temporary, there's a temporary nature, right, to their not inability to, eat, to, um, to their inability to eat truma, right? However, that is temporary. The halala, however, in contrast, is permanent. And therefore, she's the real eina ochel. She's like an eina ochel forever. And therefore, this, uh, this question of the Arla Kaltamim is not relevant. It still could be this next fact that Nixay Malug of Adam can't eat the truma might be an application of Kolo Eino Ochel Eino Machel. However, the Gemara persists and asks, Vaharei Mamzer Sheino Ochel Machel. Well, guess what? You know, if you have a Mamzer, Chaz Vashalom, uh, that's a union right of an illicit marriage, but he's a Kohen. Mamzer can be a Kohen. He has a paternal Kohen lineage. And guess what? The mamzer is not allowed to eat, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the mamzer is not allowed to eat truma. However, uh, if you have a Kohen mamzer, Rashi takes you through the case of how you end up with a Kohen mamzer, he can feed his avodim truma. And there is a case of a permanence. A permanent mamzer that cannot eat truma can feed his avodim truma. And therefore, what is this answer of Koha Enochal and Machel? That cannot be the reason why the woman's Nixemilug do not eat truma. And it is at this point, Barry, that we go on three explanations derabanan as to why the Nixemilug of the Isha in the case of the illicit marriage cannot eat truma. Explanation number one is that of Ravina. Amar Ravina. Kinin Ochel Kaamar. Kinin Ochel Michel. Sheena Ochel Eino Machel. Explanation number one is that that general rule of kol ha'ochel ma'chel, kol ha'ochel eno ma'chel, is referring to kinyan ochel. It means a, a kinyan of a coin who eats truma is ma'chel, whereas a kinyan of a coin that does not eat truma eno ma'chel. This kinyan is a reference to the widow, just to say, to the coin gadol, or let's say the grusha to the coin hedrat, which is to say, a grusha, this is a, this is, you know, uh, so it's a real, right, uh, they're changing what the, what this idea of kola ochel machel means. Basically to limit it to our case. Our case, if you have a grusha that is married illicitly to a kohen, she's considered the kinyan kohen, and when it says kola ochel machel, it means kol kinyan kohen. Just to say, the grusha, if she is not ochel, she's eno machel. It's a reinterpretation of that term, and therefore, the only real application that maybe we could even ever think of is this nixay malug of the woman, that's considered a kinyan, eno ochel, and therefore she's eno machel. That is the explanation of Ravina. The other two explanations are going to be a little bit less 
abstract. Rav Amar, a very second explanation, a very understandable explanation. Midoraisa, michalachli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Midoraisa, it's all like the second part of our Mishnah. That whatever the Baal owns, whatever the Baal uh, uh, can eat, all the, all the avadim, all the pr- property at the table can eat. That's me, Daraisa. However, there's Xerus Darabanon. Rabbanu, the Gazri Bahu, Kideshatomar, Ani, Eni, Ochelas, Avadai, Enan, Ochlin. Fascinating idea. Don't forget, Guranowitz, this is an illicit marriage. Do we want them to stay together until death do them part and be, live happily ever after? No. We want to dissolve this marriage. We want to create as much Shalom Bayit disruption as we possibly can. And therefore, in order to do that, we ostracize her. How so? We tell her, you and your slaves, but only the ones that are considered yours, that's where it becomes significant, which are Nixay Melug and Nixay Ton Barzel. But you and the slaves that you've designated as Nixay Melug, which are yours, get out of the mess hall. You're not invited to the Chadar Ochel, right? You cannot eat here. That will make her feel ostracized. And once she feels like she's not wanted here anymore, she's going to eventually request, she's going to dissolve the marriage. Let's see that inside. Not only I can't eat, my avadim can't eat. I, I'm, what am I, like a zaina to him? Like I'm a stranger to him? And she's going to leave. And that's what we wanted her to do, right? Because, uh, after all, this was an illicit marriage to begin with. Wow. Very pragmatic here, halacha, derabana. So really, midaraisa, in every case, it really goes according to the Baal, as we've discussed. It's in this illicit marriage, specifically, that we tell her to, that she can't feed the slaves. Mind you, nixit zombarzel, apparently we have no recourse, because those are really his. And therefore, we only can refer to the nixit malug as hers. And they, therefore, cannot eat truma based on this gezerah derabana. Third and final suggestion, Ravashi Amar, gezerah shema achar misa. Ravashi is going to get it over the head for this suggestion. He's saying that it's a gezera, just like Rava said, but for a different reason. What's the gezera? Well, we're talking about a Bas Kohen, potentially, not really. The Gemara didn't qualify it as such. The Gemara was sort of, uh, un, or the Mishnah rather, right, was sort of categorical about, and didn't say it had to be a Bas Kohen, but stick with me for this. If she's a Bas Kohen, let's say that is a Grusha and marries a coin illicitly anyway. So she views life like this. She says, I've eaten Truma my whole life. Now she gets married illicitly, and, but she's married to a coin, so she's continuing to eat Truma, and now, uh, which she shouldn't really do. She's a Halala. Anyway, the coin dies, and all the Avadim, were, it, were all her Avadim allowed to eat Truma? So she says, well, my Avadim always ate Truma their whole lives because that was a Bas coin. And then they get married, and if we were allowed the Vodim to continue to eat Truma as the kinyan of the husband, then guess what else would happen? When the husband died, Misa, the, the wife would say, listen, they ate Truma before I got married, all, their whole lives. Then I got married, illicitly albeit, and she it was a halal, so she probably had to stop eating Truma. I mean, she did, luckily, have to. But they continued to eat Truma because they were the property of the husband. And now that the husband died, she's going to think that they can... Continue to eat Truma even beyond that, but that's not the case. Really, once he dies, in other words, once she gets married, they're only allowed to eat Truma by virtue of the fact that she's married to a Kohen. They've already, by virtue of the fact of being her property, if it, that were the case, that she would not be allowed to eat Truma. So they would not be allowed to eat Truma. And therefore, right, it is not really true 
that they can continue to eat truma. Which is to say, when the, they're only eating truma by virtue of him, once he dies, they're not allowed to anymore. But she might think, well, they ate truma before I got married. They ate truma during my marriage. Now that my husband is dead, they can continue to eat truma. That is not true. So in order to uh, bring home the point that it's not true, we already now are gozer that they cannot eat truma. Now he asked, you can ask a ton of questions on this shot of Ravashi. First of all, our Gemara, our Mishnah didn't mention that she was, had to be a Bas Kohen, right? Mind you, Bas Yisrael could also be a Grusha, and she also is not allowed to marry a Kohen. And she could also be the Grusha that the Mishnah is referring to. And she can't say that I ate Truma my whole life, because she didn't. So why would she ever think that they could eat a, a, a Charmisa? Also, like, why are you splitting the difference there? If all it is is a Gezerah, so let's see this inside. We asked on Rashi, Rashi, yeah, if it's Gzer Shemitachilacharmisa, maybe, what, you're going to say that that is also uh, going to apply to Ba'as Yisrael? After all, she never did eat Truma even up to this point. So why would she think that they can eat Truma uh, after the Misa of the Baal? Alam Arvashi Belmana Kohenes to Asula Uruye. Yeah, no, we're talking about Almana Kohenes. That's the case of the Mishnah. Because she could justify it, right? She could say the, what we said. I ate, when I was single, I was eating truma, and my slaves were eating truma with impunity. Then Then I married this Kohen dude, and then I was, and we were able to eat on behalf of him truma. And now I'm just returning to my original state, now that my husband's passed, and we're going back to eating our truma, as we did in the old days when I was single. However, she is skipping a very important point. Right? Her reasoning is flawed because something very significant happened in, the, in between, which is she had an illicit marriage and became a halala. And therefore, so by marrying the coin, right, uh, as a grusha, let's say, she married him illegally. She made herself a halala. And therefore, what we are, what is the gezerah? Where because the Kohen girl is more likely, right, to revert to eating truma, it is specifically by her that we're gozer, shematachilachar misa. And therefore, what Ravashi, uh, first of all, has to say is that the case of our Mishnah is one of a Kohen. Um, okay, well, that all makes sense with the Kohen, says the Gemara. Tenach almano Kohenis, that we get. But almano bashra ma'ikalamemar. Our Mishnah does not say that it is only a Kohenis Gerusha that marries a, that, that, that the halacha of the Nechzei Malug not eating Truma only applies to a Kohenes Gerusha that marries a Kohen, but it says categorically that it's any kind of Gerusha. So what are you going to say about Abbas Yisrael? So the Gemara, Balmanusa Lopligi Rabbanan. That's true. We're going to extend the, uh, we're going to extend our halacha even to Abbas Yisrael, who's a Almana Lakoin Gerusha Lakoin Hedjad. We're going to extend it because we're not going to, right, uh, parse that we're not going to start splitting hairs between different kinds of almanas, and therefore that's true that our Mishnah is not limited to a Kohenes. However, uh, that would apply to a Bas Yisrael or a Bas Kohen. It would apply equally, but that's only because at that point we're making a low plug. We're not, we're not distinguishing, but the real kernel source of the halacha comes from the Bas Kohen. Okay. So now the Gemara Itmar. So now we're going to digress, believe it or not, from our digression from Yerama's, we're going to digress even per- further. We had said the Nechzei Barzel is something that really ultimately belongs to the 
husband, right? The nixay, unlike nixay malug, which you could tell really belongs to the wife because whatever happens to those nixay malug and their fluctuations go back to her. The nixay tzom barzel, he just has to give her back the seed money, as it were. So, does he have to do that? What if she requests? What if she brings in the five slaves? And sure enough, the divorce, don't forget, she may, they got married illicitly, so this is probably not going to last very long, this marriage. At least that we hope. So, two months later, what if she wants, he says, you know what? Here's $5,000 for the five slaves. Thank you for the slaves. I'm going to start, you know, a team. So, can she request the initial slaves back or not? So, well, we say it belongs to him, but maybe she has a claim. Let's see. Shum means that they evaluated, let's say, these slaves. And there is a question here whether, um, okay, uh, let, let's say it's referring to, to, the, uh, to the slaves. And so she, we, she brings that into the marriage and then she wants it back. So really it's talking about, it might be talking about metaltalin. It's a little bit, um, Unclear as Rashi says, the second line up, right? It was technically his because it was evaluated. However, so in this case, Rashi brings it back to Kalim. It's easier if you use Kalim. So family heirlooms, be that as it may, they're his, by, right? But it's something specific, tangible. Now she's coming to get the Ksuba. So it was mentioned in the Ksuba in the context of Nixay Son Barzel, but it was, you know, the evaluation of very specific family heirloom Kalim. So now, guess what? She doesn't want the money. She wants the family heirloom Kalim on. It has the monogram of the crest of the family. Like, she doesn't want the money. This has sentimental value. Well, you would say it's really his. So we're going to see. Now we're splitting the atom that we already split. We're splitting it twice because we're saying, yeah, Nixlet Son Barzal, technically with respect to the Avadi meaning Truma, they do belong to the husband. However, the, there is some ownership that she still retains in it as follows. He Omer is Kliani Notelis, who Omer Dami Mani Nosen, Hadin Imi. What if she actually asks for the actual heirlooms back? So you say, if the heirlooms really belong to him, then certainly he would have to, then nobody would argue that he does not have to return these Kalim. However, it's a machlokes. Rabbi Yehuda Amar, that's a machlokes. Rabbi Yehuda Amar Hadin Imaz, we turn the page. And Rabbi Amar Hadin Imo. Right? So Rabbi Yehuda says she gets to keep her family heirlooms even though the Nixetzon Barzel technically we had already said belonged to the husband. Rabbi Ami says no, that he is correct in saying that he can hold on to these Caleb. They belong to him. Let's uh, go through their rationale. The reason why the Allah is like her, that she can get those family heirlooms back, because they represent the, right, they are the family pride, right, of Beisavia. And so they belong to her. That is, that is actually a big chiddush. What do you mean? So who cares? It's her family pride. You could, you know, she sold her family pride, so to speak, when she got married. Okay. Apparently, this is only fair. Okay, so that's what Ryuta holds. It's only fair that she could get her family heirlooms back. I mean, she's paying for them, right? Meaning, that's what's written in the Ksuba. He's giving it to her instead of, well, I will say this. I, I assume, I assume that the monetary value, let's say they depreciated. He would have to give her the difference. But even if they appreciated, right? These family heirlooms are worth $5,000 when she brought them in. Now they're worth $10,000. She's going to pay him the difference, Right? 
Because he doesn't have to give her back $10,000 worth. She's only going to have to get back $5,000 of the family heirlooms. So that's really what's in question, right? She, that is Tzon Barzel. That's the very definition of it, I think. So I think we're not talking about the value. That's never in question. She's going to get back the value she brought in. But the heirlooms themselves, she wants. So she's willing to pay for it if she has to. Okay. So that's what Yehuda says. Give them back to her as long as the value is the same. Whereas Rabbi Ami says, listen, that, again, since we said that appreciation and depreciation is on him, right, he's going to have to give her the exact 5000 anyway, even if they're worth bupkis. Turns out they were all fake jewelry or whatever. And so she, he thought, he, he, he saw the jewelry, his eyes got wide, and he said, yeah, 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 I'll give you $10,000 back if this marriage is dissolved, thinking he's going to pawn him off for $100,000. Turns out it was all fake. He lost out on the 10000 It was worth a buck. Now he has to give her $10,000. That's his achrayis. He signed up for that. That's its own barzal. That's called chayev b'achri Says the Gemara, hold, chayev b'achri yusun, That since, right, he's chayev in, in achri and getting back to our discussion of truma, right, so if it was the context of slaves, since he's chayev for whatever happens to them, that means that technically its own barzal is his. And by the way, litmus test, they're eating truma. So therefore, it must be that it's his, and therefore he does never have to return it to her. So that's the Machlokas Rabbi Huda Rabbi Ami. Says the Gemara, Amar of Safra, Miketani Vahin Shalom. Yeah, but the Mishnah doesn't really say that they really, really his. All it says is, Katani, is that he's responsible for them. That's all it says. And that presumably is enough that they can eat truma like he does. But it doesn't mean that it's his, 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 like fully, fully his. It's not actual his. It's just kind of like Chayav Bachar level his. That he, that he's resp- so what's the difference? Well, Chayav Bachar according to Rav Safra, should be enough that they're considered his enough that he has to feed them truma. But, or that they're allowed to eat truma. But it doesn't mean that they're actually his Says the Gemara, really? Are you going to say that every case where he's uh, that he has to feed them truma? We learn it in trumos. Right? So, a rental. right? Cows can also eat truma if they belong to a coin. Here, there was a rental. Uh, Israel rented a cow from a coin. So, in a rental, by the way, who owns it? The owner. We'll call it there's the renter. And there's the borrower, we'll call it, and the, and the lender in a rental, right? That, just to make it clear. Well, it's not really a, a, a halva, fine. We'll say there's a renter and a what? The renter is the one that rents and the owner. We'll say renter and owner, okay. So the renter is, is not the owner, right? There's a renter and an owner. So if the owner is a kohen, Yisrael shesach the renter is Yisrael, and the kohen is the owner. truma. The Israel, so long as it's a rental, can feed truma to this cow, because after all, the cow is the own is the property of the coin. And conversely, coin shasaka parm Israel, you have a coin can also borrow cows or rent cows as it were. So the coin is renting a cow from Israel, Alpha Pisham is on a sale, love. And by the way, he is high of the feeder, Lo Yachilena Karshine Truma. The coin is eating truma all day long, and he has a Right, stable full of truma trua, but he can't feed that to the cow because the cow, the cow's owner is Yisrael, right? So mashma that you can, right? If you own it, 
uh, even if it's your chayef to feed it, that doesn't mean that you're allowed to feed it truma. Okay. So now, Batisbra, do you really think that renters are really responsible? So what the Gemara is going to say that, yeah, that's, you're responsible to feed it, but you're not chayef b'achor yusan, right? Right? So I could, it's true. The renters have some level of chayef b'achor yusan in the sense that if there's Gneva or Aveda, as we'll see, we're starting to get into, right, Bavakama here, and we're starting into the Bavas here, into Nazikin, but be that as it may, if it's an Onus, or Chachasha, the animal becomes weak, or Nifchas loses value, which is to say, what's the halacha of renters, as we've said? If somebody rents something, so if you were negligent and you smashed up the car, and according to halacha, you're going to be high for that. But if the car just died on you for natural reasons, right? The animal dies from natural causes. You're not chayev for that. So that's not a true sense of chayev b'achor yusun. Don't forget, a baal with the nichsetzon barzel, the animals die, he pays for those animals. So we see that the baal has a much higher level of achrayas, right, than the renter because he is responsible for everything, no matter what happens. So clearly our Mishnah, right, is showing a higher level of achrayas. So you can't bring me a case of a rental and say, that's chayev b'achor yusun. And still, you don't have, you don't get to feed a truma. Our case is much stronger, Achrayas, of Tzon Barzel. So says the Gemara, no, no, halo dami seifa. No, our Mishnah is talking about the later case in in this, in the Mishnah of truma as follows. Israel shesham paramikomin. Here, what's happening is Israel is evaluating a cow. They have a different kind of rental agreement. He's accepting responsibility to return that value. Oh, well, once he's accepted that kind of responsibility, so the cow, uh, a meteor comes from the sky and, and splats the cow into smithereens, he's accepted a chayas for that. That's Tzon Barzel, Chayav B'achriyusun. That is, I'm returning to you exactly what I, I took. There, lo yachilena kashina truma. And still, he can't feed it truma. Okay, uh, so he can't uh, feed it truma because of Yisrael. Aval koin, shesham parah Yisrael, yachilena kashina truma. So that is the case. It, once you accept that level of a chayas, then it depends not on who owns it, but who's the renter. So that is truly analogous to us. The Nixitzon Barzel, it, it is a full achrayas, and therefore, when the Baal takes full achrayas, he should be able to feed the animal. Okay? So therefore, it sounds like, uh, even though the husband has full responsibility, right, and he could feed the truma, the question then becomes, why could she say, shvach beisavia? If that's the case, then it sounds like he truly owns the Nechzitzon Barzel. So why can the wife uh, claim her family heirloom's back? So Yosef Rabbah, Yosef Bishul, Pirkei of Nachman. So the Gemara says, we're going to support this idea of these two. V'yosvik v'ka'amri. And they sat in the basement and she said the following. Tanya kavsei de v'yudav, Tanya kavsei de v'yami. So there, we have a brisa to support the shvach aviha, the dinim ma, she can take her family heirlooms like Rabbi Huda, and we have also brises in the opposite. Kavsei de Rabbi that she cannot get it back as avdei tzon barzel yotzin b'shen v'ayin le'ish, avalo le'isha. By the way, there's a halacha, an eye. If I punch out the evid and the evid's eye falls out, I am responsible, well, to set him free. But that's only if I'm his evid, right? <laughs> what about if the wife punches out uh, is abusive and punches out the Eved, they don't go out. Only Laish, below Laisha, because they're not considered the property of the wife. They're considered the property of the Ish. That's the Avdeit Son Barzel. So we see a Brisa that indicates that the Avdeit Son Barzel are in fact fully the property of the Ish. What's the litmus test? Only his punch out 
sets them free, not hers. Well, guess what? She brings in evaluated property. He can't sell it. Well, that shows that it's hers. And even if he brings his own and he says, this is, right, he cannot sell it. Um, which is an indication that he could not have sold it. So, how do we record it? That the halacha is that she can get her heirlooms back. What are you going to do the price like Ravami? So he says, you know what? I still believe that it makes sense more like Rabbi After all, it's a family heirloom. The crest says Shechter on it. So therefore, she could get back all that stuff. And that makes sense to me. We'll pick up tomorrow. Nine lines up from the bottom of Samach Vav Amad